Mud Stories, Episode 38. Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. There were some people who said like weird, clumsy stuff, but I'll take it because when you're grieving, you so badly want to be seen. There, you, and you don't need any, there, there's no magic piece of wisdom that you need. You just need to know you're not alone and that someone wants to carry it with you. Um, there were some very, very raw, very ugly moments in the process where I was not ready for someone to say like, this is going to be amazing a decade from now. So I'm not saying that at all. If you're in the middle of it, I'm not saying like, oh, honey, this is going to be so lovely. It will, but you don't have to think about that now. You are allowed to be just as, as wrecked as you want to be right now. Hi, my name is Jackie Watkins, your host, and you're listening to Mud Stories, a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments, hope to make it through your mud, and encouragement for you to know that you are not alone. Hey friends, welcome back to the Mud Stories podcast. I'm so super glad you're joining me today and I have an amazing conversation for you that I really hope is going to be as encouraging to you as it was to me. Today I'm talking with writer, author, and speaker Shauna Nequist. Shauna resides in Chicago with her husband Aaron and their two boys, Henry and Mac. And if you've never heard of Shauna before, you must know some things about her. She loves her family. She is a champion of her people. She loves dinner parties. She loves to cook. She loves to be hospitable and engage and be connecting. She is one of the first extrovert writers I've had the privilege of speaking with, and she is an avid reader who loves books. And she not only loves to read books, but she loves to write books. Shauna is the author of four books. The first one was entitled Cold Tangerines, the second one Bittersweet, the third one Bread and Wine, and her latest book that we discuss today entitled Savor, Living Abundantly Where You Are, As You Are. And it is my hope today that you will find Shauna engaging and connecting and insightful and wise. She has so many wonderful things to share from a perspective that she's faced in life. And we really just sat down and talked about all kinds of muddy situations that Shauna has faced in her life. And she offers some insight and some advice and really some beautiful tips that she's learned along the way. Tips that hopefully will help us if we're facing that same mud and bring us much encouragement as she does. So in this episode, Shauna and I, just a few of the things we discuss include how change is really a function of God's graciousness. We talk a lot about how pain can actually transform us even though it's not comfortable in the moment not comfortable. Actually, it really, really hurts. But it can be so transforming if we let it, if we surrender to that transformation that God wants to do in us. We talk about friendship and how when our friends are facing hard things, sometimes we just don't know what to say. And Shauna shares with us what really she thinks we should say if we just don't know what to say. 
We discuss jealousy and envy and how instead of just rejecting it as being wrong, we can really look and see what it is that it can teach us. We discuss creatives and creativity and how really when you create something, it rarely is just solely driven by inspiration, like a light bulb that just comes on and you're just so inspired. It's more often that hard thing that we're fighting for to be a creative. We discuss her new uh, devotional entitled Savor and really the way she's come into knowing that silence and prayer really can be a peaceful start to our day and can really set the tone for our day. We discuss the importance of finding our people in life, those people that we are closely connected with, whether that be friends or family. And finally, we talk all about how what could feel like a curse in our lives really can actually become a blessing. I'm so thankful to Shauna for joining us today. And not only do I hope that this conversation blesses you, but I hope that you can savor each and everything she offers. Enjoy. Hi, Shauna. Welcome to the Mud Stories podcast. I'm so thrilled you could join me today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Well, I have so, so much to talk with you about. But First, right here at the start, before we even begin any questions or conversations at all, you have to know something, and it's sort of a true confessions for me. At the end of the first Illum conference, which at that time was called Relevant back in 2011, I was given your book, Bittersweet, in my swag bag, and I remember it because it was bright blue. (laughs) But in the mix of all the other books I received from that conference, sadly, I never read it. And then this past year, I heard you speak at Illum. And I just remember wanting to find out more about your work because I knew a little bit. I knew you cooked and had a remarkable dad and that we had some mutual friends in the online blogging world. But, oh my, how I was so horribly ignorant of all the rest. And so you have to know in this past week, I've totally been on a Shauna binge, if you will. (laughs) I've been catching up on your words I just know if I'd been at Westmont in 1996 instead of Pepperdine in 1989, we'd have been fast friends. And so it's my absolute honor to talk with you today. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Well, as a writer, you've just released your latest project entitled Savor, Living Abundantly Where You Are As You Are. And through certain seasons of life, that reality is such a challenge, especially if where we are is a super muddy place, a place of pain or loss or brokenness in the midst of uncertainty or change, which I know isn't foreign to you. So I thought today we could touch on just a variety of different areas that can be muddy in life. So let's start with job loss and change, more specifically church leadership and ministry loss and change. I know in my early 20s, my husband and I were on staff at a church and there was a huge church split and it was ugly and much was said and we were fired. And if anyone has been in church leadership for any period of time, they know that it can be painful and sometimes the change or loss from ministry is really hurtful. And you've written that change is a function of God's graciousness. So I'm wondering, looking back on your experience, how was that change one of God's greatest gifts and one of his most useful tools in your life? Well, you know, um, it's easy to see now all the things that God was doing, um, and and it's easy to be thankful now, and I'll tell you about that in a minute, but um, that was one of my earliest, most shaping 
most life-changing heartbreaks. And, mm-hmm. um, I learned so much from it, but in, before I could even learn from it, just the, the sense of loss was so painful for me. Mm-hmm. And I felt so embarrassed and so ashamed and so not like myself and so lost. And I think some of it is because the way we tend to work in ministry tends to be pretty connected to our identity mm-hmm. and we tend to connect pretty deeply relationally. So like I have a couple friends who work in, you know, one of them works at a bank or one of them works at a preschool and they, they very much would say like, well, that's not my life. That's just my job. And right. I'm not saying that's true for everyone who works in a right. bank or a preschool, but um, they would <laughs> say like, my friends are outside of work. My identity is right. outside of work. This is just one part of me. Most mm-hmm. people that I know who work in ministry settings Mm -hmm. don't really feel that way. They feel like this is connected to my calling, to my vocation, to my skills, to my vision of who I am Mm -hmm. in the world. And most people, at least in my experience, who work in ministry work alongside many of their closest friends. The people that they serve with become sort of their extended family. Mm -hmm. So when something goes wrong in ministry, we're not just talking about where you go nine to five. We're talking about who you see yourself to be Mm -hmm. in a spiritual identity way. We're also talking about kind of your, your chosen family. And I really experienced both of those. When I look back on it, it was a, it was, I got fired from a job, which is just a job, but it wasn't just a job because my identity was so deeply wrapped up in it. And all of my relationships, you know, we were living in a town that we moved to only to be a part of that church. We didn't know anybody Mm -hmm. in that entire town that was not connected to that church. And my husband and I were working together and we were in this very connected small group who all worked there. I mean, it was just, it was, when you look back on it now, it was sort of a recipe for disaster, just that our whole world was kind Mm -hmm. of in the context of that church. But I think that's very common for people in ministry. The other side of it though, is um, I would never have become a writer if I hadn't uh, gotten fired from that job. Um, Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a writer very, like since I was a little girl, it's my favorite thing. Books are my favorite thing. I love to write. I love words. I love the connection that you can have with an author through the course of the pages. Um, but I had found myself in full-time ministry and very much enjoyed it and had a lot of identity and relationships wrapped up in it. And, um, I never would have, uh, I'm the, uh, type of personality. I, I, like, I feel like, um, God sort of kicked me out of a nest and it had to be painful in order to get me to leave. I would have hung on for dear life if they had let me. I mean, if they had called, even after as painful as it was, if they had called and been like, we made a mistake, want to come back? I would have been like, uh-huh, I do. I do well, want to come Well, because it was back. familiar and that's totally. where your community was. Yeah, totally. I can so relate to that. And so it took that door being slammed in my mm-hmm. face. Like you actually cannot show up here for your job anymore. Right. It does not exist. It all of a sudden sort of made a blank slate. And when the writing opportunity came along, I was like, oh, well, oh, I, I mean, I guess, there we go. you know, yep. but I, I would never, and, and I'm, I'm so thankful. I, I love being a writer. God's done such good things in my life uh, in the last, you know, eight or 10 years getting to live as a mm-hmm. writer. I'm so thankful for it, but um, I would still be absolutely back at that church if they had let me. Yeah. Um, so I'm really thankful for the way it shook out. And that change was a function of God's graciousness, you know, which you can now see. And so totally. many times it's only in hindsight, we can see it. Yeah. And I would never push anyone. I mean, there were definitely, um, there were some very, very raw, very ugly moments in the process where I was not ready for someone to say like, this is going to be amazing a decade from now. So I'm not saying that at all. If you're in the middle of it, I'm not saying like, oh, honey, this is going to be so lovely. Um, It will, but you don't have to think about that now. You are allowed to be just as, as wrecked as you want to be right Right. now. 
Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about messy life and pain and friendship. Life can be messy. And as a writer, you've said that you pray for gritty stories to write, but then you have to live them in all their muddy mess. So oftentimes, though, that desperation drives us closer to God, which you found in that first loss, right? Mm -hmm. So could you share an experience in your life where you learn to embrace the pain as an opportunity to first of all, be comforted by others. I love how you wrote about that, where friendships could grow, where you discovered a home team and where that pain really became an opportunity to be inwardly transformed. You know, I think, um, our journey of infertility and miscarriage, uh, is something I would never wish on anyone. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it really brought a new depth to our marriage. It brought a new depth to my prayer life. It brought uh, certainly a new depth to, depth to the network of relationships that really carried us through that time. Yeah. Um, and, and so again, I, I, I wish it had been easy for us and I wish it was easy for everyone. And um, God shaped, reshaped my relationship with him during those five years in a way that mm-hmm. I don't know if anything, anything else could have. Right, because pain drives us to him. Totally, and to one another. And to one another. We love to think that, you know, we're, we'll run to God because everything is going great. But the reality is we're needy and forgetful people. And um, he, he often uses circumstances that are painful to woo us in. Can you speak a little bit to how in times of pain as friends, sometimes we don't know what to say, like for me. I've been through a divorce. It was a very painful experience for a variety of reasons. But there were people who just dropped me like a hot potato. I mean, I think we, we talk about ministry and how your life is so involved at the time we were in ministry. And so, you know, no longer like in the split second of a day, I no longer was attending and I no longer was there. And the separation was ugly and, you know, on and on. But there were people who who said things, even though they were hard things, Can you speak a little bit to the practice of learning to just say something? Your quote really that I loved is, so when there's bad news or scary news or when something falls apart, say something, send a note, send a text, send flowers. And if you don't know what to say, try this. I heard what happened and I don't know what to say. Can you talk a little bit about that and friendship? Yeah. And, you know, that's one of those things that came really directly out of, uh, I think, especially my first miscarriage. Um, and what I found is, but also uh, getting fired both. Um, yeah. There were some people who said like weird, clumsy stuff, mm-hmm. but I'll take it because I, you, when you're grieving, you so badly want to be seen. There, yeah. you, and you don't Absolutely. need any, there, there's no magic piece of wisdom that you need, you just need to know you're not alone and that someone wants to carry it with you. And so I would always say, err on the side of saying the wrong thing as opposed to saying nothing because the nature of it, and I'm sure you felt this, yeah. or I would imagine you did, is when you're happy, you you see happiness everywhere. Yes. But when your heart is broken, you feel like you're the only one. Mm-hmm. Um, when you just get engaged, it's like the, everybody's wearing diamonds. Look at us all wearing diamonds. When you're pregnant and happy about it, you're like, look at all these beautiful bellies. But when you, when you have a miscarriage, you swear you're the only person on earth who has ever felt this way. Um, when you're so embarrassed, you can't even go out for breakfast in the same town as your church because somebody's going to ask you something so embarrassing and terrible. And you might start crying in a restaurant. You feel like you're the only one that's ever felt that. And so... 
saying something is a way of reaching into that isolation and saying, you're not alone. I'm not going to fix it. There's no magic words, but you're not alone. And that's so important. So important. I think that's what our stories do for one another, sharing our stories, which is what I'm so passionate about here on this podcast. You know, people sharing what they have been through and how God met them there so that we can all know that we're not alone and so that we can see how awesome God really is in the midst of our pain. So I, you know, I just think if we're willing to be honest with each other, we're not that different. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of us have been hurt in the same ways. A lot of us long for the same things. A lot of us are worried about X, Y, and Z in our future. We're, we're fairly similar. Um, but you don't always know that unless someone's willing to be really vulnerable about the behind the scenes of their life. Right. To be transparent and open. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about, um, jealousy a little bit with social media and an internet connected world. I know you've spoken about jealousy and how it can become even more of a struggle than ever. You know, how we're scrolling endlessly looking for connection How have you personally faced that, you know, jealousy or envy and what have you learned has helped to wrestle it down? Well, I would say a couple things about it. I would say some of, sometimes the like um, knee jerk Christian response to jealousy is, oh my goodness, I'm feeling it. That's bad. I want to stop feeling it immediately. Go away, jealousy. Right. (laughs) Um, And I think there's a step in the middle there that can be really helpful, which is asking what this jealousy might have to teach us. So sometimes, okay, sometimes it's just, uh, I would say like coveting or envy. Like, I just want what you have. You have a nicer car than me and I want it. But sometimes, so I had a thing with a friend a couple years ago where <laughs> via social media, I, I noticed that I was so jealous mm-hmm. of her. Everything she posted made mm-hmm. me feel jealous. And I drilled down to like, what is it about this? And what it was is I perceived real or not. My perception was that she had more time and freedom and she was allowed to rest Mm -hmm. and play more often than I was at that time. And that's so so key to recognize, Shauna, to really do the deep work of digging under it and figuring that out. I think that's super key. Love that you're talking about that. Well, and what it, what it led me to was wait a minute, what is it in my own life? Am I actually this, am am I so busy that I cannot Mm -hmm. rest in a meaningful way? Did I do that to myself? How do I change it? What do I, you know, essentially what I wanted, it's not like I was like envying her jewelry. I was envying the way that she cared for herself. And so it was an invitation to me Mm -hmm. to treat to treat myself with the same kindness and freedom that she's treating herself. So it actually led to a very meaningful spiritual process in my life where I said, I think, I think she's, she's able to be kind to herself and to listen to her body and to her soul in a way that I'm not doing for myself. Mm -hmm. And I want to change. I want to, essentially what it said is I don't want to be jealous of her. I want to be like her and I can. Right. Uh, And sometimes I've had friends say, um, Hey, I'm really jealous of you and of your writing career. And, and I say, great, Mm -hmm. let's talk together about your schedule and when, when the writing is going to happen in your week, because I want you to live your calling the way that I am living my calling. So this is not about you and I being in competition. This is about me helping you create space to do the thing you were made to do. Um, and I think there's a lot of, so I, I think the first step is when you're feeling jealous, what is it that I'm actually longing for that I'm seeing? You know, sometimes, mm-hmm. um, 
It's, I see people connecting online. I see big groups of ladies sitting around the table. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you're lonely. Yes. You're not, you're not jealous. You're lonely. Yes. And so, so maybe what it's time, for, maybe the instruction there is it's time for you to gather those, your ladies around your table. Um, yes. So I think jealousy can teach us something about our desires if we're willing to pay attention to it. The other side of it, though, with, with social media is, I think, keeping in mind a couple key things. Number one, everything looks better online. That's how life is. <laughs> that like the system yes. is totally flawed and totally rigged, and every single thing in the world looks better online. Yes. So as long as you just know that in the back of your head, um, and then also that you're almost never scrolling through social media when you're having a peak experience of your own, right? <laughs> Like when you yes, and your husband, procrastination, yeah, totally. awkwardness. Yes, yes. When you and your husband are having like one of those like amazing conversations, when you feel totally seen and connected and loved, mm -hmm. and like, oh my gosh, he thinks I'm beautiful and smart, and I'm so glad I'm married to him. You're never like, hang on, let me just scroll through Instagram. <laughs> you, you only do it totally when when there's nothing happening in your actual life right. that's extraordinary. Right. And so you're kind of starting at a deficit there. The only reason someone posts is because something great is happening, and the only reason you check <laughs> is because you're you're looking for great. Right. You know, so it's a setup, right? Totally. And so I think one of the things I'm learning, especially when I'm traveling, uh, I think I get, you know, I, you know, you talked about how we're uh, both extroverts yeah. and the traveling, the traveling speaking thing is really hard because mm -hmm. I get lonely. Yes. Um, I can relate to and that. And I find when I get lonely, um, I scroll through Instagram as though it's going to keep me company. Mm -hmm. And what I'm learning to do is if I like, instead of holding my phone and opening it to Facebook... I hold my phone and send out a bunch of texts to my people, or yes. I send a Voxer message to a group of girlfriends. And so I try to use my phone, for example, to connect, not just to watch other people's connections. I love that. And that really helps me. I, um, so I pick it up wanting to watch someone else's life, but I'm training myself instead to reach into someone's life instead. To say, how are you? How did this, you know, how's your son doing? Is he over his cold? When can we get together? Mm -hmm. That, that, uh, I always feel better when I've reached out to one else's life. Yeah, me too. Me too. And since reading that um, area that you've written about, I totally started doing that this week. And wow, what a difference to really just stop and pause and say to myself, why am I opening Instagram right now? Why am I, why have I been on Facebook? It's like, is it, I'm trying to delay accomplishing something because I'm afraid to start or, you know, am I, am I feeling disconnected and I want I, and need my people, you know, mm -hmm. um, let's mm -hmm. talk a little bit about creativity because you've, you've, um, spent much time writing about that because you are a creative and your writing really is so rich and transparent and connecting. I'm sure you hear that all the time. Talk to us about how important it is and, and a little bit about how we need to make space for creativity for our souls to really be alive and how you've created some tools for yourself like for example knees or buttons or the idea to start mm -hmm. where you're stuck and would you mm -hmm. share any advice you have for how we can begin to live more fully as our creative selves sure you know one of the things i think there's there's so many myths about creativity and about creative people and about artists and one of them is that um that uh, we are like completely run by our inspiration and it, it descends upon us like a, like a cartoon lightning bolt and then time stops and you go, you know, day and night without eating and you're so captured in your work. I don't ever feel like that. <laughs> Not ever. And if I had to wait for that feeling, I would never make anything. 
Um, I make things because it's my job and I love my job. Um, I always tell the story and, and I actually got to tell it uh, in front of it. So I always tell the story about my cousin Amanda and I, she actually went to an event with me this weekend. I was like, so my cousin Amanda, who's right there. And she was like, <laughs> That's what? Always so great. I can't believe you. Yeah. I can't believe you always tell this story, but she's a first grade teacher. She's an amazing Aww. first grade teacher. But if she woke up on an average Tuesday morning, it was like, oh, I'm just so not feeling mm-hmm. first grade. She would get fired because it's her job to show up and teach first grade, whether she's feeling it or not. And I think the same is true for those of us who make things. It's our job. And it's not about feeling it. It's about practicing your, the skills of making things and it gets easier along the way. And so I don't wait for some like imaginary burst of inspiration. I'm responsible to show up inspired and to live an inspired life. And Um, So for me, that means spending time with other creative people. I find that I'm really inspired by other people and they don't have to be, doesn't have to be other writers. I love being around photographers and dancers and painters and designers. And when I watch the way they make things, Mm -hmm. I make better things. Um, It's a lot about just like, there's so much about creativity and making things that's so not glamorous. You have to get good sleep. You have to feed yourself well. You have to, you know, like that sort of like crazy, chaotic artist, drinking heavily, smoking incessantly, <laughs> living out of a, you know, living out of a backpack. Those artists don't last long. Yeah. And I think what we want to be, we want to be healthy, long-term creators. So that means connection to community. It means taking care of your body. It means mm-hmm. resting your body. It means, um, being a part of your community and your kids' lives and your neighborhood. I think that's where rich creativity comes from, not from this like super wild lifestyle that's totally itinerant and 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 sort of insane, but like this really durable, good, livable creativity. That's what I'm interested in. Yeah, because in. out of living a full life comes the creative inspiration to make what you're good at making. Yeah. Totally. And we, I, you know, I always joke with my publishers about that because I'm like a notoriously slow writer. I, I have like three years between books. Other people are like <laughs> popping them out. Right? And I totally, and I just tell them like my, I need to do a lot of yes. living in between yes. writing. Like I, if, if you, if we make these deadlines too short, every essay I write is going to be like, and then I was sitting at my laptop. Nobody <laughs> wants to read that book. Like, that's the right. And book. I think that is true. That's why, I mean, I can say that's why I connected by reading your words. You know, I felt like you were a friend and you have lived life enough to write about it. You know, it's very, very important. And I hope many listening who are creatives will really stop beating themselves up about deadlines and more embrace the presence of every moment so they can, you know, really live it fully and richly and have a resource from which to write from or or create whatever it is they're creating. I'd love to talk a little bit about forgiveness. Um, You've written and spoken about forgiveness and how it's really lifting someone off the hook, so to speak. And that the hook that we hang each other on really reaches down and grabs us too if we don't do that. Can you share with us a time in your life where forgiveness was really a struggle for you and the benefit that came from forgiving even though you didn't want to? Oh, I mean, I feel like I have a million <laughs> Just pick examples. one, right? <laughs> but, you know, um, when I wrote when I wrote that chapter about the hook, it was, it was about the person who fired me. Um, and mm-hmm. I... I was absolutely consumed by the, I was spending so much active Mm -hmm. energy 
hashing and rehashing conversations or imagining what I would say to him if I finally got yeah. to, da, 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 you know, and you and know, know just, it gets bigger it in your imagination. Totally. totally. Yeah. And he was just going ahead with his normal life like a normal person. I was the one, you know, he's not suffering right. because I'm still angry with him. I yeah, am suffering. Um, and I just had to, uh, you know, you wish for situations where someone comes to you and says, I, I hurt you and I was wrong and I will do anything and you're amazing. And very rarely does that actually happen. You sort, you have to do the forgiving work no matter what they're doing. Right. Right. So, so I had to, I had a, I remember the concrete moment. I remember where I was on the sidewalk in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where I said, I'm done. Mm -hmm. Uh, this is eating me from the inside out. And he, he's just going along his merry way. And I am unraveling under the weight mm -hmm. of this anger. And I want to leave it right here. Um, and I wish that that was an all at once decision. I find that it's like every morning you wake up and have to do it again. It's, you know, um, every morning you have to get up and decide to let them off the hook again. Well, then the amazing thing that happened was several months later, he called us and Aaron and I, and he said, I'd love to go out to eat with you guys. And we were like, yeah, that sounds so horrible. Fantastic. Uh, okay. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. And before we even opened our menus, he said all of the things that we had been wishing he would have said mm. like a year and a half ago, like a script, like I was wrong and you were right and I dishonored you and I'm sorry and and will you forgive me and I'm trying to learn from this and I don't want to do this again to anyone else and I mean like wow. I could not have written a script and the amazing thing about it was I didn't need it anymore mm -hmm. because I had already done the work and so it was very easy to say to him thank you and of course we forgive you but we forgave you a long time ago before you said all these wonderful right. things because we needed to be free not because what you did was right. okay and and so the I think question if, is, if do you, you want to be even, free? Yeah, exactly. So if you even think about it just from a purely self-serving standpoint, do you want to mm -hmm. be free? Do you want to live with your whole heart available to love and laugh and connect? Or do you want increasingly higher percentages of your heart to be occupied by anger and hatred and resentment? It's a it's a terrible way Which to live. Which occupies so much that there's not going to be room for what you really want to be there. Totally. Yeah. yeah. You know, your latest book, Savor, it really is a beautiful devotional. It's it's meant to have snippets of daily reading and digesting of truths and reflections. And I know for me, you know, I quiet time, this whole idea of this quote unquote air quotes quiet time that as Christians we aspire to, I think, you know, I have a little issue with it in the sense that it's sometimes over formalized and highly dramatized and, you know, idealized and all of those things. But I think there's some truth to the, the richness of spending daily time with God and his word and what he says and who we, he says we are. And sadly, I was 38 before I actually read my entire Bible all the way through from cover to cover, which is now six years ago. But what I've enjoyed so much about Savor is how you've taken snippets of all this beautiful reflective writing you've done and you've given it to us in, you know, small pieces that can really be inspiring. Can you tell us a little bit about how the project came about and, you know, what your heart is behind it in that sense? Well, I would say, you know, I, I feel just the way you do that, um, you know, anytime you get uh, something gets so important that like it, it's 
everybody has to do it, or this is the only right way to be a Christian, or this is the evidence that you're kind of my kind of Christian is that you do this kind of quiet time and you go right. to this kind of church. I'm just like, I'm a pastor's kid. I'm way over that kind of stuff. <laughs> like I, you know what I, I mean? Totally like I know what you I'm, mean. Yes. <laughs> I'm the ultimate a uh, little rebel. And um, my family would be the first to say that if you tell me there's only one way to do it, I will knock myself out <laughs> proving to you there's a whole lot of other ways. And so um, I would never say this is that, that, that morning quiet time is something you have to do in order to be a good right. Christian. What I would say is about two and a half years ago, um, I got to sort of like this little crash in my life. And I realized I wasn't the person I wanted to be anymore. And I wasn't I wasn't silly or warm or whimsical. I wasn't connected. I wasn't present. I was like a little machine, extremely efficient, ticking things off lists left, left and right. Um, but my relationship with God was more like, uh, you know, I'm in the army and he's my captain and I just keep chugging along trying to do a good job for him and less like a daughter and a father saying, I'm tired or I'm sad or I'm fragile or I need help. And, and I, I sort of had to overhaul every part of my life. And one part of the overhaul was I came back to the practice of morning mm -hmm. devotions, not because anybody told me that those were the rules, but because I found actually as a just personal private Christian that, that if I began the day in silence and prayer, kind of focusing on one attribute of God or one word about his nature or one verse in scripture, it, it, it began my day and, and there was a quality of peace and connectedness that stayed with me throughout the day that I couldn't recapture if I didn't start with it that way. So it's not magic. It's not the rule. It just helps me. Yeah. And so I, I feel like I part of being an adult, part of being an adult is being willing to say like, no, I get it. There's no rules. I'm allowed to have uh, onion rings for breakfast if I want to, but the system is designed a certain way and you can either honor that or not. So the, no one says you have to have a healthy breakfast, but your body's going to work better if you do it that way because it's the way it was made. So no one's going to like force you to do a morning devotional, but I think your body and your soul were made to live in connection with God. And I think when you start the day that way, there is something special that happens. And so, um, so we've talked for a long time about a devotional and I have said no for all sorts of reasons. And, and then in the last, you know, when it came up about a year ago, I said, you know what, this has been a really meaningful thing in mm -hmm. my own life. Not as a, not as a Again, public anything. Just, living. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so I had a new appreciation for it. And I would say, you know, when you talk about like reading the entire Bible, uh, <laughs> no part of me would ever, this is not like a, heavy no. theology. This is not super thick doctrine. The point of it is that it's a very easy baby yes. step into life with faith. So if you're somebody that has no experience with this like weird mm -hmm. insider language of church people or doesn't want, you know, it's a, I hope it's a very warm, gentle hand reaching out saying, maybe start here. Maybe consider some of these ideas, maybe five minutes a day. It's a very entry level um, everybody's welcome. Everyone can jump in kind of conversation that I'm hoping to create with yeah, this. I love it. I love it. And I love that once I heard, um, cause I did audiobooks. once I, I heard cold tangerines and bittersweet, and then I started opening saver. I'm like, ah, oh, I remember that chapter. Oh, I remember that. And, and it was just, <laughs> it's so nice. And then there's like a little reflection at the bottom, just a little question or a thought or a prompt. And 
a scripture at the top that ties in with the whole concept. And, you know, sometimes I'll tell you, I have four kids that I'm homeschooling right now. I work part time as a labor and delivery nurse. I'm busy. And to be able to have something like that where God's word is at the top, it's a a verse I can be having ever present before me that very day. Some reflective thoughts that I can now recognize and remember that you've written and a question prompting me, you know, like today's was it's okay to cry. You know what? What about today can you really embrace and validate the pain that you've experienced? And how are you going to reflect upon sitting with that and being okay to know that God sees and, and he hasn't forgotten, you know? So I just, I just love the concept. I'm so thrilled. And it's so beautiful. Just beautiful. I'm sure everybody's <laughs> saying that. Well, and I, you know, I can say, um, I, I can just brag about how beautiful it is all day long because I had nothing to do with it. It was like the team I worked with made the most beautiful book and I'm so happy. I loved what they came up with and I take absolutely no credit. I think they did a beautiful job. <laughs> they did. Absolutely. When when I got it in the mail, I was like stunned. I, I took a deep breath. I was like, oh, wow, you know, it's not every day I receive a book like that. It's beautiful. Um, I know that motherhood and, you know, the the childbearing and infertility and loss and all of that has been one of your really muddy places. And you, you mentioned that earlier, you know, mm-hmm. today, but I, I'd love to read, um, a quote. I, I don't know. Is that okay to read your writing back to you? That's kind of <laughs> awkward, isn't it? I've already done it. Sorry. I, <laughs> I've become a Shauna champion in a week. How about that? I'm like your newest person. Yeah. Oh, that's sweet. Well, it's not hard to be sweet when it's really true. I mean, I don't really say that to any, any and all people I speak to, I will say, but, um, because it's true, it's so easy to say, but this podcast, we talk about muddy places and you've written so much about it. And, um, so I want to read a little quote. Um, so when we're experiencing a really muddy place, like pain, suffering, brokenness, um, adversity, failure, maybe it can feel like it never ends and it can feel like a curse. And you've written about what feels like a curse can actually be become a blessing and a thin place to see God. So you write, when things are dark and splintering, I get stuck, believing that it will always be how it is. Not that new life will never come, that change will never really break into my life, but anything can happen in a year. Broken down, shattered things can be repaired in a year. Hope can grow in a year after a few seasons of lying dormant. In seasons of sweetness or seasons of sadness, neither lasts forever. It won't be sweet forever, but it won't be bitter forever either. If everywhere you look these days, it's wintry, desolate, lonely, practice believing in springtime. It always, always comes, even though on days like today, it's nearly impossible to imagine ground frozen, trees bare and spiky. New life will spring from this same ground. This season will end and something entirely new will follow it. So my question to you is what was a season in your life that felt like it would never end? And how did even just one year make such a difference for you? Well, you know, we talked about this earlier, but after our son Henry was born, we had a five year season, uh, almost to the month. Um, of infertility and miscarriage after miscarriage. And I realized uh, when I was pregnant then with our son, Mac, 
uh, instead of being excited, all I was was terrified because mm-hmm. I thought, oh, I've done this before and I know it's going to end. I know something terrible is going to happen. I know I'm going to be back to the right. hospital. I know. And, and it was like so ingrained in me that this was going to have a bad ending because we had had so many bad right. endings. That innocence um, is gone. Yeah. Oh, totally. We joke about that. And I'm sure you know all I about do, this as a yeah. labor and delivery nurse. I'm totally like, I'm, I'm sure my, my OB just, you know, I would like call like, hey, I'm pregnant. <laughs> it's Shauna Let again. Let's get, yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Let's get the numbers. Am I within this range? Yep. Can you do this test? Yep. Can you, they're like, hey, 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 I'm the doctor. I'm like, yeah, but I know yeah, some right. things, you know. Been here, done that. And that's terrible. Yeah. Um, you're paying attention to every last we little thing. We love people like you, know. We do. <laughs> well, we do. Uh, I actually, I was, um, I didn't know you were a labor and delivery nurse. And I always tell people until Henry was born, I had no idea how important your job is. (laughs) Like, I just didn't know. I mean, how would you Yeah, they're like, when's the doctor coming? I'm like, well, if it's a perfect day, you follow the right um, scan of things and you progress a certain way. And I'm sort of semi-psychic with my crystal ball and I call on time and he answers his cell and he gets here fast without traffic. He might be here for your delivery. (laughs) Totally. And what I mean, I, I didn't know that like the do- you, the doctor does so little, if I can say that, <laughs> the nurse, the nurse is like your best friend times your mom times your yeah, counselor. Yeah, totally. I mean, we, I had like serious connections <laughs> with my nurses. The doctor was like, oh, you're here. Fine. We're fine. But I've got Linda yeah. and Linda and I, I still know her friends. name. I love that. <laughs> oh, I mean, I sent her a present. I'm like, she Aww. really, um, I feel like I love the work it's that you guys a do. I think it's really important for us too. It yeah, totally. It is. You're you're in such an extraordinary. I mean, we talk about thin places, right? Like I still cry every time a baby's born. I and and oh, every time I I'm watching, I'm like, it's not gonna fit. It's not gonna fit. And every time it fits. <laughs> I mean, 17 years I've been doing this. You'd think I'd learn. It's gonna fit, right? Um, oh, but, um, yeah, yeah, I still get weepy. It's, it's such an honored privilege. And to be honest, I do it for free it, just to be led into that sacred space of a family's life. You know, it's like only happens a few times in their life and to be able to be there and invited in on the moment that they've been waiting for all that time. It's really such a oh, privilege. I, I totally get that. And I'm like, I'm the, literally the worst candidate for ever being a nurse of any kind. I'm super squeamish. I pass out. You're I'm one of those fainters I mean, like, when I start your IV, right? Oh, oh good. I totally am. I, I cry. I mean, I'm a total disaster. Um, but I can see how, I can see how it would be absolutely mind blowing every single time. Oh, I, I totally get it. No matter it. how many times and I, think I see it, it's, it yeah, is. you're walking people through such sacred mm-hmm. space. I love yeah, that. I, I love it. Um, so although you were asking me a question. Oh, I was I just totally talking to you about, I just, for people listening, I'm thinking, you know, maybe they're yeah. in a place where they can't see that spring is coming and that totally. maybe even just the hope of a lot can change in even a year. Like if you could, you know, throw out any advice to somebody who's facing a season or maybe they feel like they're in that everything is interim moment where they're waiting for that big thing to arrive and it's needing to be a process mm-hmm. of learning that no, now and today is our is our mm-hmm. moment, you know, just whatever you want to you know, close and wrap it all up with. That'd be awesome. Yeah. I think there, are, yeah, sure. I think there are generally two kinds of people. There are people who are used to making it happen mm-hmm. and the waiting is really, really, really hard. And then there that are people who are very, <laughs> I mean, it's me too. It's me too. And then there are people who are waiting and waiting and waiting and the right thing might be for them 
to stand up and push something into mm-hmm. action. Do you right. know what I mean? And I think you kind of know intuitively which, which one you are. I've been pushing things into action all my life. And what's frustrating for me is when I have mm-hmm. to wait. But there are other people where, you know, a loving friend would say to them, like, hang on, this relationship has never been healthy and it's never going to be. So you need to stand up and walk out this door. You know what? Yeah. I, you know, um, and, and, but I, I think almost everything I have learned in my life, I've learned from a community of people who love me and tell me the truth. That's so good. And, and, so and really, that's what the if, table has all been about for you. I know we haven't really talked about food, but, totally. but yeah, I, I think I have been inspired from spending this week with you to to <laughs> really start opening up my home more because I love to cook. I mean, I've been back in the, you know, I'd say, gosh, early 90s, back when you were in like high school and college, I was, you know, <laughs> doing Barefoot Contessa and Paula Dean and, you know, the whole, the whole thing. And I, there was a time in my life where I did spend an inordinate amount of time cooking. And it was prior to social media in my life, to be honest. And I really mm-hmm. have been inspired by all that you've written about it and talked about it that I really need to get back to that because in this season, I'm feeling really more lonely than I have in a long time. And I think pursuing online things and, and, um, you know, connections online it really leaves an empty place if you really don't pay attention to your home team, to your people, to getting people in your life. And sometimes we have to be the ones that create it, like like you advocate for. You know, just oh, absolutely. Take the time, to and do I, it, I do think, know? and I connect with what you're saying. Um, I think part of the reason I'm so absolutely insane about in real life, face-to-face, around my table, in each other's lives and hearing each other's voices is because so much of my life takes place mm-hmm. in the lo- in the lonely typing yeah, internet. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and I think I need to counteract that. You know, I don't have an office that I go to every day with like human people <laughs> right. to talk to. And yeah. so I need to create that. I, I need to have, I put a disproportionate amount of energy into faces and people mm-hmm. and, and gathering around our table because I need to counteract some of that like echo chamber. Yeah. Like, is anyone, is this well, thing especially on? You as know? an extrovert, like I'm like, if somebody mm-hmm. calls me last minute, I don't care if it's 1030 at night, you want to meet at Starbucks for a latte? Awesome. I'm there. Like I am there. Mm-hmm. And that's my personality as well. And yet I'm wondering what advice you would give for, like, I've reached out to people and said, Hey, let's do let's read this book together and meet once a month or let's you know even meet for dinner once a month and a lot of people they're very hesitant to commit you know like well Mm -hmm. I don't know if we can do that in our schedule you know what would you Mm -hmm. say to people who are hesitant to say yes to your invitation because you can't have a you can't have a table experience a, a cooking club a home house church whatever without your people saying yes I'll come Mm-hmm. You know, I would say it's a it's a matter of finding your people. Um, we have had various small groups over the years that we've invited people into, who, and they haven't wanted to be a part of it. Um, or they've said, hey, you know what? Once a week is too much for me. If you were doing once a month, I'd do that, but I can't do once a week. And we say, well, you know what? I'm so sorry. Once a week is the right rhythm for us. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, you have to be a little bit, it's sort of like dating in that you have to be willing to be shot down. Um I absolutely have had situations in my life where I say like, hey, I would love to connect in this way with you. And they've said like, yeah, I don't want to do that with you. <laughs> I know. Like, it's so okay, hurtful, okay. huh? You're like, really? It I is, would be so it's... amazing for you if you only knew. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, you know, we, we're used to that in dating. You know, yes, you don't think that right. the first person you go out on a date with is going to be the person right. you marry. We're used to there being sort of like inherent rejection built into the system. <laughs> the same is true when you're finding yeah. your people. Um 
it, it, it is a lot like first dates and it, it can be sort of awkward. And, and, you know, there've been times when Aaron and I have gone out for dinner and we've been like, yeah, they don't like us, do they? <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. that's how life is. Um, and so I think you just, you have to be willing to pursue it and you have to be willing to set aside time and energy to do it. Um, really life-changing, close relationships don't happen on their own. So for example, I just got off the phone with my best friend. She lives in Orange County. Um, So we just had a phone call. We scheduled a phone call. So I've got, you know, 10 interviews and podcasts today. I'm leaving on a trip at 3 a.m. tomorrow. She's been um, out of town and we like wedged in a 30 minute phone Mm. call because it matters to me more than other things matter to me. Like it really does. And um, being in regular close contact with her and hearing about how her kids are doing and hearing about how her husband's doing, like that's- Life-giving. That's- Yeah. And it's at the very top of my priority list. And um, I think pe- people ask me sometimes, like, how do you and Annette have a friendship? Like, we've been friends since our freshman year at Westmont. I love that. How do you Aww. guys have this kind of friendship? And I say, because we put Time. so much work mm-hmm. into it. We fly across the country for each other. We put phone call dates on the calendar. We, you know, like, we invest heavily and are richly rewarded. It's yeah. so worth it. And God it. was gracious enough to allow you to live nearby each other for a season. I think that's mm-hmm. so totally. Helpful. There's just nothing like somebody who can come sit on your couch while you fold laundry, you know? Totally. Totally. Yeah, Absolutely. So love that. Well, Shauna, it has been my honest, sincere privilege from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much for joining me today and for your beautiful writing and um, for becoming my friend, even though you didn't, you don't know me at all. <laughs> oh, that's so oh. sweet. That's the biggest compliment ever. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, I promise I'm not a creepy stalker type. So <laughs> <laughs> But your writing really does stretch me and inspire me and encourage me. And I know so many others. So um, I've been changed this past week because of your words. And I'll be savoring them for a long time. And just so, so you know, I'll be holding you close. And thank you so, so much. My deepest thanks. Thank you. It was totally a pleasure. Great to talk with you. Well, have a wonderful day. Thanks. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's all for this episode. I'm super thankful to Shauna for joining us here, and I hope that her words were a blessing to you. As usual, you can find the show notes to this episode at JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 38, and I will have links to all the ways you can find Shauna and thank her for all that she shared here. And I just hope that this week, as we in the Christian faith are approaching Good Friday and Easter, this holy week, this passion week, I'm praying for you that whatever you're facing, you can sense the deep love of Christ, that you will reminisce and reflect on all he did for us on the cross, and that you would rejoice and be so thankful with me that he is alive and that we are forgiven and that we are reconciled to God because of Christ. It's a special week as we conclude this Lenten season. And so I hope whatever mud you're facing, you'll be encouraged today by something that we offered here. And if you have been encouraged, I would so appreciate it if you would be willing to share this podcast with just one friend. You know, it is the way that this podcast can be discovered by others if you are willing to share. And so, you know, send somebody a text, send them an email. Um, I would so appreciate that. As usual, you can leave a review on iTunes if you feel so inclined. You can do that by going to JackieWatkins.com forward slash iTunes. 
And as always, you can get a free audiobook today at mudstoriesbook.com, or you can get the free app for this podcast by going to jackiewatkins.com forward slash Apple app or jackiewatkins.com forward slash Android app. And so no matter what you're facing this holy week, no matter where you've been or what lies ahead, may we all each together find our grateful song to sing. Have a beautiful day. Suppress upon my mind the pull of shame that leaves me a little bit blind. I cannot see beyond the plane, and I never will find a way out. And then I feel you next to me. You lift my head to see. Your strong arm reaches to me. Your mercy floods my tired soul And you lift me out of my muddy hole You wash me up with your sweet grace And you lead me to a safer place again I never any mother feels a press upon my that leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the blame And I never will find a way out And then I feel you next to me You lift my head to see Your strong arm reaches to me Your mercy floods my tired soul Ha, ha, ha.